and five, four, three. Greetings, everybody. Close the door behind you. It's time for the mailbag. My name is Marcus. That guy in the shadows is Andy Brassel. Stop making me sound like some evil lurker. (laughs) (laughs) You little lurker. You dirty little lurker. (laughs) How are you, top brass? You still top of the brasses? Yeah, uh, hopefully. Um, I'm I'm feeling good. Looking forward to getting uh, stuck into the old questions. Yeah, I'm going to start with a question from myself, Andy. With your relaxed, carefree, fun-loving attitude, how do you stay at the top of the tree? <laughs> uh, through excellent climbing skills. Is that right? Yes, okay. it is right. You, you uh, fly in the face of, of that unfortunate message of, oh, you have to be a bit of a, you have to be a bit of a sod, you have to be a bit of a bastard to get to the top, you have to be ruthless. No. Look at Andy Brassel, everybody. Nice guys can prosper and win. What Marcus doesn't know is that I'm currently stealing his internet collection and electricity uh, remotely <laughs> from my home. It does seem a bit more expensive this time of year, but I just put that down to my overuse of Netflix. But there we are. Um, <clears throat> let us uh, get this nonsense uh, on the road. Uh, we're going to start by uh, uh, we're going to start with a question from. Lee R. Lee, we love you, man. You've given us uh, some some highs. No, just all highs from Lee, I would say, uh, over this uh, mailbag time, and, and we appreciate your questions coming in thick and fast. You are wonderfully uh, relentless in uh, your joy, Lee. And this week you are asking this question. Who would you say is the most successful island club in Europe? Lee um, gives a little example of Real Mallorca there. Uh, and he says, uh, what are the advantages and disadvantages these clubs face, Andy? It's a great question. Uh, I love the way you pronounce Liar's name, Marcus, because mm. you wouldn't have thought that there was a way to pronounce it, especially in an English accent. But the way you go, Lee, ah. Oh. As if you're going to yeah. have a nice cup of tea and sit down and enjoy the question. And it is a, it is a question uh, to enjoy. It's, it's, something yeah, that I, it it's something that I find really interesting because um, one of the first things, the first thing actually I did for the, for the blizzard in, um, of course, mm. governed by the great Jonathan Wilson um, in its uh, first ever issue was um, something about football on Corsica which wow. I really wanted to do for a long time. You can you can still read it on on the Blizzard website if you're a you're a member and you want to go back and and look it up. Um because Jonathan's thing when he he launched the the Blizzard was uh it doesn't have to be newsy. It doesn't have to be a word mm-hmm. limit. Just write what you like as long as you like. And before he got to the end of the sentence when he was describing the concept, I went, I want to do something on Corsican football. Because <laughs> uh, uh, it, it's, it's always really, really interested me um, ever, ever since my time um, living in France because mm. it's something uh, quite unusual to us, despite the fact we have Cardiff and, and Swansea, to have something not not in a different country, but um, something that's not part of the same landmass uh, mm-hmm. Part of part of your your football league. Um, we'll, we'll come back to uh, Bastia and Ajaxio in in a, in a minute. Um, but uh, of course, uh, Lee points out Mallorca in his his, his question. Um, back mm-hmm. in the top flight, 
uh, this season. And um, I didn't at the match there in the match that they got re-promoted the second leg of the, yeah. the playoff final uh, last that. June against, thank you very much, against Deportivo La Coruña. And I was, I was taken aback by the atmosphere. It was incredible. Um, you know, in the Balearics, you're expecting um, laid back, calm, but there were so many people outside the stadium from hours before kickoff, this huge fan rally. And um, it was it was a magnificent atmosphere. It was brilliant. Uh-huh. And when they when they got it over the line, coming back from 2-0 down to, 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 to win 3-2 by winning the second leg 3-0, um, it was it was an incredible scene. Um, Mallorca, of course, have been pretty successful in, in their time as well um, because uh, they reached the U, um, UEFA Cup final in, Cup in, in Cup. 99. Cup Winners Cup final, sorry. Yeah. In, that was uh, an incredible achievement, 99. though, for them. It was, yeah. what, was it Lazio that beat them? Yeah, it was. It was. And uh, a very Sven's well-funded... Sven's Lazio. Nice yeah. squeezel in a Sven there. Yeah, I'm glad you did it. But a very well-moneyed Lazio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was um, speaking, actually, the other day to Alvaro Romeo, the Spanish editor at um, TalkSport, and uh, he he was talking about uh, Eric Zadarif, who we might come to a little bit later, Marcus. Ah. And um, he was was talking about um, when he was originally sold um, by Athletic before he came back for his second spell, when he was sold to Mallorca, um, he, he said to me, Alvaro said, um, yeah, they bought him for 5 million euros, which we're still waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> this was like a long time ago. This was over 10 years ago now. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't hold your breath, uh, Athletic. Um, in terms of, of, of cash flow, it's, it's, it's been difficult for Mallorca. And mm-hmm. um, of, of course, they've, they've been taken over by um, an, an American consortium um, some years back now, uh, which uh, included Robert Sava, uh, the owner of the, the Phoenix Suns. Steve Nash is a minority shareholder, the famous mm-hmm. um, uh, former MVP and Phoenix Suns um, star point guard. Um, big football enthusiast, obviously, and he actually does um, football punditry in, um, in in the states now, as well as working mm. as a consultant for the for the Golden State Warriors. So they've had a lot of um, a lot of sensible management and a lot of um, sporting expertise to get them back on the straight and narrow. But they're still operating on a tiny budget because when we're talking about advantages and disadvantages of of being on an island. Uh, one of the major disadvantages is you do have like a limited catchment area, a very limited yeah. catchment area, and um, you know that's been a, a problem for for Mallorca down the years. Now, of, of course, them um, sort of getting a lot of people in for a, a huge match that's going to shape their future is is one thing, but they've got to get people in for all the other matches, um, and um, that's something that's a that's a difficulty. Also, away fans are um, obviously mm-hmm. a, a problem. You don't get that many on, on the road, um, even though, um, as Alex Fitzpatrick, who was my guest on that uh, episode of At The Match, was was telling me, if you're a resident of Mallorca, you get an 80% discount on flights to and from mainland. So, That's you know, great. you can have a nice little weekend at Real Madrid or Barcelona away. Yeah, yeah. Um, but all those things... But, uh, Andy, really I, sorry, I've got, to jump, the market. I've got to jump in here because... Away fans are non-existent in Spain. Away fans um, are non-existent in Spain. I went to- largely, <laughs> largely. Well, they, well, I've I, seen the Real. I've seen the Madrid derby at Real Madrid, and there was about two hundred Atletico fans there. 
Yeah, I mean yeah, they're in no, the same that's city. True. You do, you do, I'm, you do have exceptions. Um, a better well, an I, exception, for example. Um, well, yeah, but, but I saw even I saw Atletico Madrid against Getafe or Getafe uh, at the old uh, Atleti Stadium, and again there was about eighty Getafe fans, and I'm thinking you all live about five miles away. <laughs> it's just mad. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not the same culture of uh, following following teams on the road. There's there's, there's no doubt about that. So. Um, Maybe not such a, a, a big thing, but in Mallorca are, are one case. Um, a case that we've been talking quite a lot about in, in, in Portugal recently is um, Maritimo, uh, one of mm. uh, three major clubs on, on the island of Madeira. You also have um, Santa Clara in the, in the top flight of Portugal at the moment, who are from the Azores. Uh, so th- they're in a, a slightly different situation. And um, the advantage is, I think particularly when you when you look at Madeira, it's really funny how Funchal has this little microclimate, and mm-hmm. in terms of in in autumn and winter, uh, fog is something that gets a lot of games called off there. But also, it's something that visiting teams have traditionally found a bit difficult to adjust to. And mm-hmm. interestingly, they always say in Portugal that the um, the title is often decided in Madeira because Porto had a lot of trouble over there. Benfica have lost games over there. Yeah. You know, there'll always be a random result that happens in in, in Madeira, whether it be um, the, the main two clubs, uh, Maritimo or uh, Nacional, who are who are coming back up actually after the, mm-hmm. the, the closure of the Portuguese second division season, or, or Uniao, who, who were there for a, a, a bit as well. But the microclimate of uh, Chupana, the, the district in which uh, the stadium is, is, is absolutely legendary. They've also mm. been able to leverage, and Carlos Pereira, the president of Maritimo, has been able to leverage, um, we deserve equal rights as, a, uh, as, as, as being off the mainland to his advantage because originally when the Portuguese league was going to restart um, the, the the prime minister Antonio Costa said, right, we want it in six stadiums, maximum eight. But um, Carlos Pereira, the president said, look, there's no reason that we should be disadvantaged because we're on an Island. We want games here. We're ready to stage games here. And he got some support off bigger clubs, including um, Benfica and Porto. And um, that they've got games over there and loads of other teams followed suit. So it, ultimately, there were 13 and maybe after health checks, 15 other stadiums that are, are going to host Portuguese top flight games. So really, Maritimo have changed the course of the the, the whole season. Um, they're, they're a club uh, with clout, with history. Um, they've reached Europe a number of times. I remember going mm-hmm. to see them um, play Newcastle United back in what, November 2012. And um, so even though they've got a, a, a meagre budget, really can compared to some of the biggest clubs they've played. They play Rangers and Leeds in Europe as well. Um, they've they've done really well to um, get into Europe on a couple of occasions. They've, they've had some big players there as well, the likes of uh, Diego Sousa and uh, Baba, who um, didn't really do that well at Sevilla in the end, despite the fact that um, everyone thought he would, he would adapt really well to Spain. Um, but I, I suppose we've got to finish off with um, Corsica, and it's really, really interesting. Like I said, this whole um, story of Corsican football, I'll leave you to read about it in, in mm. the blizzard because it is absolutely fascinating and deeply detailed. 
um, but it does involve um, organized crime, uh, difficulty controlling crowds. But mm-hmm. I think if we're talking about really successful um, island teams, I mean, Bastia have, have got a, a, an amazing story because they reached uh, the UEFA Cup final in 1978 uh, where, they, where they lost to PSV. They had Johnny oh. Rep in their team then. Oh, in 1978, which is absolutely amazing, isn't it? When you yeah. think of that in 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 retrospect, and um, Bastia have, have had a tough old time financially because, really, with with a lot of the the crowd trouble they they had at their famously sort of tempestuous Fuliani mm-hmm. Stadium and problems they had with security. When they got banned from their stadium, they were forced to play their games on the mainland, which really crippled them financially. Um, it was one of the factors in them getting relegated. Um, they're absolutely um, leaking money like a sieve um, towards the end of that. And um, they were put into administrative relegation, went all the way down to the bottom. They were promoted last season, so they're back up to the third tier. So Bastia are hoping they're on the way back, but it's a fascinating, very layered story. But I love the question, Lee. Thank you. Yeah, no, great question. I mean, in terms of the most successful, just on trophies won, as far as I can see, you know, Real Mallorca, they won the Copa del Rey 2003, yeah. which is you know a, a rare win for a, an island club, as, as we say. But a team we haven't mentioned yet is uh, Calgary won Serie A in the 69-70 season. Yeah. Which is a yeah. phenomenal achievement. So, so in in the major leagues, I don't know. I don't think in Greece an island team has won it. I think only about five or six teams have ever won the, the Greek Super League. Uh, so there may be the odd example, but in terms of the in terms of the big leagues in Europe, certainly, I think Calgary might be the only team to to win. I mean, looking up this, uh, doing a, a, a very very quick bit of research uh, research uh, for this question. Uh, Las Palmas finished second in La Liga in the late sixties. Uh, but but Calgary seemed to to be the one. So yeah, it was a long time ago. But they they were the champions of Italy. So make up your own mind, Lee. I'm going to say <laughs> Calgary or Real Mallorca. <laughs> well, well I, I would say um, Bastia for their UEFA Cup final appearance, the Coupe de France win, and the fact that they're far more angry than any of the other island teams. You don't want to argue with them. Yeah, and you. You put a lot of value and importance on anger, of course. I do. Final del partido, el Real Mallorca es el campeón de la Copa de Su Majestad del Rey. Let's move on to uh, an email from uh, Sean Owen, who says, while in lockdown, I've decided to binge on Sunderland Till I Die. One of the breakout stars of the show was Josh Madger. Would it be possible to have an update on how he has performed for Bordeaux since his move here? I think it is possible. Mr. Owen, Andy, take it away. Yeah, by, by all means. Um, I mean, he's, he's been there for oh, a year and a half now. Um, mm-hmm. Quite, quite a, a, a long time. And uh, Bordeaux were interested in him for a, a long time before uh, he eventually uh, went there. Obviously, that's a part of the the saga of the second series. You know, will he, will he won't he? And um, once he knows of Bordeaux's firm interest and that they can meet the desired transfer fee, 
Um, I think it's pretty clear where where he is going. Um, Bordeaux, it might seem like an unusual move, but bear in mind he's he's, he's coming from the third tier of English football to the the, the top flight of French football. So mm. um, it, it took a bit of a leap. Um, he's still um, pretty young when it when he arrived and um, only only just turned I, th- I think twenty when it when he's he twenty one now yeah yeah um, and. Um, you know, he's, he's arriving at a big club, and you, you get this when when you arrive to the training ground at, at, at Bordeaux. Um, you can't really turn up with your boots in a carrier bag. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's posh, and um, it's a beautiful I, place, I, you say, Andy. Yeah, well, Bordeaux is a beautiful place anyway. But um, mm. I think I was describing this in the ramble meets I did with um, Palasosa. Yeah. When you drive up, you've got some training pitches on the left, and then you have the chateau. Uh, at, yeah. at the end of the, the the drive, and it really is a, a chateau. It's like keep talking, proper, Andy. Like, keep talking. <laughs> it's proper like 14th century French nobleman business. <laughs> and uh, you go in there, and there's reception. It's where all the um, players and the coaches uh, get changed and um, have their dinner and all the rest of it. No boots in the chateau, though, Mark. No. You've got to take them no, off no, no, before, no, no. before you get in there. Obviously. Yeah. Um, so I think that must be quite an intimidating thing when you go in there on the first day. Now we know. Sunderland have some great, really modern facilities, but you have a sense of history at Bordeaux. And it is a historically huge club. It's one of the biggest clubs in, in mm. France. So adapting to that, adapting to a new country, adapting to a new language, and then getting used to the step up in football, um, not easy. But Magic's done a pretty good job th- this season. Um, he started some games. Um, he's, he's got through some minutes, and he's he's made some big impacts. They've got high hopes for him. Um, he scored in the last game before the the, the hiatus, I think, and um, before that he got he got a hat trick against Nîmes when they they absolutely hammered Nîmes six nil. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's someone who's who's got goal scoring instinct, as you you would have seen from watching Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's he's someone who's who's technically good enough to be there. And that is something that's really important because I think sometimes um, there's still this sort of, I guess, prejudice about English players um, in, in other European countries that you know, maybe they'll be strong and tough and have loads of stamina but they won't quite have that technical quality. That's definitely not the case with with, with Josh Madger. I mean, I do think that image is changing anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But um, Madger is, is, has, has been really, really promising for for them. Mm-hmm. He's quick. He takes up good positions. He's learning, and he's, he's mm-hmm. still a little bit raw. Um, but they're getting plenty out of him at the moment. And in a team that doesn't really create that many chances, um, he, he's, he's done a good job. Um, because you look at the the, the start of the, the season, when I was speaking to Paolo Sosa, that they were looking for a new striker. Uh, he thought that was the player that could shape their season, push them towards Europe, and they didn't really get that player. On the other hand, I do think that's probably helped Josh Madger. He's had more of an opportunity because maybe, well, we know definitely that Bordeaux don't have the, the sort of money that they, they really need to to build the squad into into what they want. So that's given him a, a bit more of a, a free reign. I do wonder what will happen next, though, because obviously with the closure of the Ligue 1 season, a lot of the, the, the French clubs are, are suffering. Bordeaux are in one of the worst financial positions of any of the top flight clubs. Um, 
I might have to sell off a wing of the chateau. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> the, the, they're they're in they're in difficulty, and I wonder if other league on clubs, at the very least, have seen enough of Josh Major to say, okay, well maybe we make an offer there. For me, he's done enough in French football that I would like to see a, a lot more of him in it. Yeah, he's got a cap for Nigeria, of course, and if he carries on, he yes. might have a few more. Um, we should say, Andy, that uh, a quick look at this uh, Chateau at Bordeaux's training ground. Um, forgive my pronunciation, Chateau Le Allian? Allian? Elan. Elan. Um, according to Wikipedia, Chateau Bel Air is the... Uh, is the name of the place, Andy. Have you ever heard it referred to as Chateau Bel Air? Or is that just, uh, you know, the, the the Will Smith in me? <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't see a hoop there, I have to say. But, um, <laughs> well, according to Wikipedia, Chateau Bel Air is, is, uh, is, I, is what it's I, called. I tell you what. And Wikipedia talk, talk, never lies. Talk, talking of Will Smith. I mean, we've we've Were all we? played with some with some mm-hmm. bad foot. We've all played with some bad football players, but mm. um, I remember when the Champions League final last came to London in 2013. They had this yep. um, Champions Festival at Stratford, where they had um, uh, loads of like they had a trophy room where you could go around and see the European Cup, and they had um, uh, all these famous shirts displayed and everything. Mm-hmm. Lots of games. They also had uh, a load of those veteran games. Of course, Cafu turned up and was better than everyone, yeah, despite yeah. being fifty and all that that sort of stuff. And I was working at that for a bit. And um, in one of the the games to kick off one of the vet, vet games, they had Will Smith and his son turned up. Oh yeah, like I remember this. O- honestly, I've. I've never seen anyone look so clueless with a football at their feet. <laughs> it, it, his, uh, his, his, his son, who's obviously his great star in his own right now, was, I guess, about 10 at the time. He had to show him how to take the penalty. He was, he was obviously mortified, the kid. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was unbelievable. My, my, my friend Rob Daly was commentating on it, and he did really well to keep it together as Will Smith did these ninja moves and then – came up to the ball and completely missed it. I mean, honestly, he made, he made Diana Ross look like Zidane. Oh, my goodness. Poor old Diana. Well, Andy, lovely to hear about the, the Chateau, uh, as always. Um, now we uh, move into a time of um, Aritz Aduriz. Uh, we have uh, uh, Ruari Wood has uh, emailed in saying, with regards to uh, uh, Aritz, uh, can you think of any other players that were so old they've had to retire to get a major body part replaced? Well, it's, it's funny. This is kind of quite germane at, at the moment, really, because um, in France, there's been a lot of talk about a, a player who has had a hip replacement already, mm-hmm. uh, Gibral Cissé who yeah. I, I think it's fair to say has, has been through the mill physically. Yeah. In, in, he wants to in make his, a comeback though, doesn't he, Andy? His career. Yeah, with a hip yeah. replacement, um, yeah. which is like, as you can imagine, the the, the subject of some consternation in, in, in France. Um, mm. uh, a, a football pundit, um, f- famous football pundit, uh, Pierre Menez, said, well, you know, I, I, I'm worried about him hurting himself if he comes back. Now, Gibral Cissé didn't take too kindly to this. Mm. Um, it, it has to be said. But, um, yeah, and, and, anyway, um, it's, it's an interesting an interesting <laughs> tale. And um, 
he's someone who loves the game so much, Jubral Cissé. I think that's something that can easily be overlooked because people think of him as as um, flash and brash. But I always loved him. I thought he was great, and um, you know, he, he wouldn't let injury curtail his career. Mm-hmm. He he had moments where he came back and did absolutely fantastically after those uh, two broken legs. He had a couple of unbelievable seasons. Uh, um, yeah. Panathinaikos last time they won the league was was when he was there. Um, scored a lot of goals for for Marseille. Did a pretty good job there as as as, as well. And bearing in mind that when he arrived at Liverpool, even before the injury, you know he was bought by the previous coach. So mm-hmm. um, you know and. Um, shifted out of position, so it was it was a tough old old time for him. His career could have turned out something else entirely. And I always thought he's um, someone who's a really interesting personality, great communicator, mm-hmm. and his as I said, his love for the game. Every time he scored a goal, he went nuts. <laughs> he yeah, absolutely right. loved that, and I love to see that. In a, I really love to see that in, in uh-huh. a footballer. Now, bear in mind as well, after he had this consistent hit problem that saw him leave Bastia, actually, who we were talking about uh-huh. before, um, he went and played in La Réunion for a bit, um, the French island that's, um, that's that's a very long way from mainland France. <laughs> uh, and um, he ended up playing in the, the fourth tier in Switzerland as well for Yverdon. And mm. I, I love that. You know, he just would not, Quit it. And this is a guy who he doesn't need to play football. He's he's yeah. rich. I mean, we were talking about chateaus. He had one in England, didn't he, when he played for Liverpool? <laughs> he was he was uh, Lord Frodsham, wasn't he? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's and, the more of the manner. And you know, he's 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 very successful international DJ as 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 well. But he kept on playing simply because he loved it. And you know, he came out and I don't know if he really believed it, it, it could be done. I mean, he's defied the odds enough times in his career that, that, that maybe he did really mean it. But when he came out and said, look, uh, post, post-COVID-19, post if any clubs are skint and they need someone to be a striker to take a place in the squad, I'd do it. And I just love that. And mm. I thought that, that, that people were kind of po-faced about it and took the piss a bit. I thought it was really graceless and, and inappropriate because this is mm-hmm. a guy who who – does totally love the game and has carried on. But there is something in his mind as well, because for a long time now, he's been stuck on 96 league on goals. Like He scored more goals than that for French clubs. Of course, he played for Auxerre, Marseille and, and, and Bastia. But he's been on 96 actual league on goals for a long time. Mm-hmm. He would love to hit the century. And I know it seems really, really unlikely because, you know, he's, he's 38, he's going to be 39 in August, if anyone could make this happen, I mean, Cisse could, right? <laughs> I'm all for it, Andy. I'd love to see him given a go. Sadly, though, because of the current climate, um, you know, he'll have to wait even longer, of course. And sort of summer deals and so on and so forth, clubs may not know where, where they're coming and going. So if it was this time last year, I think there would be more of a chance, but we, sh- I, we I, shall I, see. I see him rolling a nice whip right up to the chateau when it comes to August. <laughs> what, do you, what do you reckon? Magic replacement? I did, well, I, I not in not in terms of first team. Uh, perhaps if Madger's moved on, then maybe. Um, but uh, I, I think if you were Josh Madger and you lost your team in the 
you you you, you lost your place in the team to Tipperick or CC. He might be a bit pissed off. Uh, in terms of um, Aritz uh, Adoriz, you know, it's it's a it's a shame that uh, he's finished playing. But then when I say it's a shame, you know, he was he thirty nine or something. He had an amazing yeah. career, um, but and finished his career at uh, Athletic Bilbao. Of course, I know you talked a bit about him briefly on on the continent and stuff, but. Um, nice that he ended his career at Athletic Bilbao, where it's sort of heartbreaking began. that he never it, got to finish it in the best possible way because he would have been yes. playing the Copa del Rey final mm. in the Basque derby against Real Sociedad, and he was born in San Sebastian mm. as, as, as well. But yeah, time waits for no man, apparently. I mean, he's an incredible story just because after that phantom money move to Mallorca, you know, he went to Valencia afterwards. People looked at him and thought, oh, yeah, he's good, but he's not really going to do it at a big club. Goes back to Athletic and then becomes one of these strikers whose performance doesn't only endure past his his 30th Mm. birthday, but increases. I mean, Mark Langdon told me the other week, he scored 66% of his career goals beyond the age of 30. That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah, his his scoring record uh, for Athletic Bilbao in the kind of uh, twilight of his career, I think he's... It might be off the top of my head. He scored a few goals at Real Valladolid, but it might be like his best scoring record. But certainly it is, in that... It those... is 30, 35 goal season when he was 35. I mean, that, that's not bad, is it? What I, what I also loved is how much he loved a goal against Barcelona in the last <laughs> few years of his career. You remember the this kind of bicycle kick he scored. And then in the... Um... That was his last one. That was his last one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then uh, a few years prior, was it the, the what do you call it, the Spanish Super Cup? Um, yeah, hat trick in the, that. Yeah, hat trick against Barcelona, and I think he scored at the, the new camp in the second leg as well. So uh, yeah, he absolutely loved it. I mean, as I'm talking about sort of players who played a little bit older, I'm thinking of Antonio Di Natale, who's always been a ramble favourite as well. But I don't think he had any body parts replaced or anything like that after football. I could be wrong, um, but. Yeah, he's phenomenal. What about Claudio Pizarro, Andy? When's he going to retire? Well, we're talking of old footballers. Well, he's he's, he's not involved at the at the moment, unfortunately. So I, I think yeah. he'll be done at the end of the season. Forty-one. That's quite impressive. There there is an older outfield player than him in uh, in Europe. Uh, Montpellier. You've got Ilton, the Brazilian defender, who's oh, yeah. who's forty-two, <laughs> and um, it looks like he's he's, he's going to play on next season as well, which. Uh, would be absolutely extraordinary. So, like, like bear bear in mind that at the moment he's forty two. Mm-hmm. He's going to be forty three in September. And <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, he's he's played most of the games this season. It's remarkable. It's absolutely incredible, and he's their uh, he's their vice captain as well. Bit of experience. Well, let's finish on on that chat, Andy, because that uh, warms your cockles, doesn't it? Whenever you hear about older players still applying their trade in the game. <clears throat> Uh, past their, well past their peak, one might argue. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the mailbag. Thank you for your questions. Do get all your questions in. You can email us uh, and you can uh, obviously get your questions in on the uh, mailbag thread on the Discord as well. It's been a ruddy pleasure, though, Andy, in your company. As always, Marcus, and thank you, Ramblers. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see you next week, people. Se va a producir cuando Aritza Duriz salte al terreno de juego. Dos minutos. Hay gente que abandona ya su localidad. Veremos si firman o no el armisticio. Yo creo que no, ¿eh? ambos equipos.
escapa para meter el centro. This was a Stakhanov production.